the term um, summer of love. I don't know what that conjures up in your mind when you hear that. It kind of harkens back um, to the era, and I say era, not error, um, of the early 70s. Um, and uh, you think of like tie-dyed t-shirts, right? And peace signs and flower children and uh, those custom vans that had carpeting everywhere, right? Up the walls, on the ceiling, everywhere you looked. And um, summer of love for some of you that just conjures up images that regardless of how hard you try, you just can't forget. You'd like to, but you can't. Um, I happen to have been in diapers uh, at that time. So I don't have a lot of vivid memories of that whole era. Um, probably the one that I do remember is uh, the Magic Garden. Um, some of you, three of you might remember that here in this room. Yes, uh, these hippie uh, girls, Paula, um, Carol, and then there was Sherlock the Squirrel. And it was, I think it was a Channel 13 show. And um, many of you, though, not many of you, some of you at least, um, that was your era. That was when you grew up and you were in the thick of it. You went through your own hippie phase. And if you did, and you're here this morning, congratulations. That means you made it. You survived. And uh, we celebrate that. And on top of that, what I'd also like to add is I would love to see the pictures. Um, they would be priceless. I'll put them up here on the screen if you dare. Um, but we're going to take a little bit of time this morning to work through one particular chapter in 1 Corinthians, this chapter that's kind of known as the, the love chapter of the Bible, 1 Corinthians 13. Uh, you may be familiar with it. Um, you've probably heard it before. It's this beautiful, poetic description of love and it's probably one of the most well-known passages in the entire Bible. So if you go to a wedding this summer, you're probably going to hear 1 Corinthians 13 recited at that wedding. Uh, you may see it hanging at a wall in somebody's house. Uh, the, the phrase is from 1 Corinthians 13, written out in fine calligraphy. And my prayer, though, for us this summer is that we would together learn and understand what it looks like to be people of love and uh, to live it out, to be able to live it out in real life uh, throughout the summer. So I'm going to start out by just reading it, and I'll read through this whole chapter. It's a very short chapter, and then uh, we'll, we'll jump through it. It says this, If I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have and if I deliver up my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. 
For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been known fully. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. So that's just look at a very familiar chapter, and uh, I don't know, there's a lot in there, and I thought maybe there's probably some of us here who could really use kind of a summer of love, of just kind of diving into uh, what is here in this uh, passage, uh, because you've probably noticed there's a whole lot of stuff going on around our culture, in our society, that's not very loving. There's a lot of hate, there's a lot of rage, um, tensions are high, people are polarized, and, and navigating life in 2023 is no small challenge. And, uh, and love makes this big difference. And I can even look in my own the mirror, look at myself in the mirror, and just, I don't have to look any farther than that to see the need uh, for my life to be fueled by love, because I can be fueled by so many other different things, and when it's not love, um, things can get kind of ugly pretty quick. So um, we're going to walk through this passage all summer and, uh, and, and kind of just dive into different elements of it, and I'll tell you that I am definitely not any kind of resident expert on the subject. Um, you can consider me more like someone who knows how much I am in need of the kind of love that's described here in this passage. And, and, so, uh, and so we can walk through it together and uh, we'll unpack different descriptors from this passage uh, throughout the summer. But today we're just going to do this big, um, kind of big picture overview. Um, so, so it starts out by talking about uh, the need for love. Um, I don't know if any of you remember the Beatles, John Lennon sang the song, All You Need Is Love. And what's fascinating to me is that he sang that and wrote that song, which I believe it was on the final Beatles album before they broke up. And then from then, he went on to relentlessly just criticize and pick apart his former bandmate, Paul McCartney, for his music for just about everything for years to come. And so I look at that and say, I'm not quite sure that's the kind of love that we need, but yes, we do need love. And, and part of the problem is we use this word love so flippantly in so many different ways for so many different things, uh, but there is a kind of love that's so critical, that's so urgent, that's so essential, that if we don't have it, the, the net sum of our entire life efforts amounts to nothing, what it says. Um, so, so this chapter, if you've been with us, we've been working through 1 Corinthians for some time now. And, and last week, you'll remember, this is written in the midst of these instructions of, of how spiritual gifts get exercised within the context of a church setting. And uh, it's to help people know in church how to exercise their own gifts without marginalizing someone else's and putting someone else down. And so... Um, and so it lists here some of the more spectacular gifts and plays out some if-then scenarios. So if I speak in the tongues of men and angels but have not love, I'm a noisy gown, clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries, if I have all faith as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If 
I give away all I have, or if I deliver up my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. So what is kind of, kind of playing out here is this, uh, this idea of what if you or I had this level of gifting in our lives that was completely off the charts, just without comparison. If you have the most advanced level of competency in whatever area you choose, whatever area it is that you want to come up with, maybe it's a musician um, or an athlete or in education or a business person, whatever it is, what if you were in that place where you are just better than the rest, a notch above, and you're able to do what others just can't do? The question is, is that enough, right? The idea is that at a certain point, when you get to a certain level and the talent is that high, love just becomes an optional accessory that you don't really need because talent or competency alone is enough. Um, it's teasing that out. I, do, maybe you do know that you know, some of the most miserable people on this planet seem to be highly gifted jerks, right? Who's, who, what they can do is so great, but how they live just spills it out on the ground, right? There's, there's plenty of people who have these abilities that are just magnificent. We admire them, but the arrogance and the hubris that goes along with it makes them people we just, we just don't want to be around, um, that's kind of what this is getting at. And so the, the what ifs is, first one is, what if you are a linguistic genius? If you are totally fluent in every language, not only in human languages, it even extends to the heavenly language that angels speak. Man, that would be impressive. That has to be sufficient. That would qualify you for the greatest um, or, or how about this? What if you have supernatural insight? If you are able to unravel every riddle, if you were actually a know-it-all, right? And not just pretending to be a know-it-all, but an actual know-it-all. If you could answer every Jeopardy question that's ever been asked on TV. So does, does that kind of off-the-charts wisdom and knowledge eliminate the need for love? Is that what makes a person amazing? or irreplaceable, or if you had enough faith to literally make mountains move, or it, even if you're extraordinarily generous, that you give everything you have away, give it all up. So the idea is, whatever it is that any of us have, even if we had every gift and we could do everything, and yet if we're missing this one key ingredient, if we leave out the love what I was getting at is that the net impact of our lives adds up to a big fat zero. Nothing. Leave out the love and whatever it is we have the ability to accomplish, it doesn't matter. It, it amounts to nothing. Apart from love, our lives amount to nothing. That's, that's how critical what it is that we're talking about. And, and so maybe you say, okay, I got it, Brian. I understand what you're saying. No problem. I've got plenty of love. I love pizza, especially pizza with anchovies on it. Or I, I love my sports team. I've got plenty of love for my sports team. I, 
I love my pet. I pour out all my love for my pet. I've got plenty of love. I'm good to go, right? Well, maybe. What's interesting is how many words in English, we condense words, and we have one word for love in English. In the Greek, there's three different words for the one word that we have in English. And so um, there's different differentiations about this word love. So let me go through the three of them. The first one is eros, love. The Greek word is eros, and and, uh, it's where the word erotic comes from. So you can imagine what kind of love this is. This is passionate love. This is this is desiring love. It's, it's love directed inward. That's the first kind of love. In, in the right context, it's, 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 it's appropriate. Um, it seems to be the one that is highlighted in our world, that love is eros. Um, it's, not, it's not the only expression. It's not the appropriate expression in m- many settings. There's different kinds of love. The second one is philea love. It's where we get the word Philadelphia, that's where Philadelphia comes from, the, the city of brotherly love. And philea love is brotherly love. It's, 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 it's friendly love, it's affection for one another, it's cordial, it's reciprocal, it's like, you know, love between friends. Uh, so there's eros love, there's philea love, and then there's this third love, it's called agape love. Agape is the word, the Greek word, and uh, there really is no equivalent in the English for agape. Um, but this is, this is God's kind of love. This is the love of God that's experienced on an individual level, inward, and then gets expressed outward. Uh, agape. God's kind of love. The kind of love that he loves us with. It's a sacrificial love. It's a committed love. It's an unreciprocated love that always has our best interests in mind. So here's the question. When we're looking at this famous love chapter in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, which kind of love do you think it is that's being talked about? It's, it's not eros love. It's not phileum love. It is, it's agape love. That agape love, that love of God is the essential ingredient. That's what we need. Take out God's kind of love, that sacrificial love, Leave that out of the recipe for your life and what you are going to end up is going to be completely unpalatable. Everything else there could be in the mix and no matter how amazing it may be, it's going to end up spoiled and thrown away in the trash. It's kind of like me making pancakes. I made pancakes one day and I had, I had great milk. I actually didn't just use the milk. I used that, um, what do you call that? That, that uh, buttermilk. Yes, because when you want really good pancakes, you make buttermilk. You use buttermilk and fresh eggs from the farm, and you get the syrup straight out of the maple tree, and it's really good stuff. Um, But the one essential ingredient is is baking powder. I think it is, but what I did is I put baking soda instead of baking powder in. And with that one mixed-up ingredient, guess what? The whole thing ended up in the trash, had to start over from scratch. And that's, that's what we're talking about here. This is how urgent this is. This agape love means the difference between living a life that makes an impact and living a life that makes no impact. Um, so that's, that's why it matters. And we'll look at uh, also um, what exactly does it look like? What does it look like? How do you know 
if you have this kind of agape love fueling your life. And so the passage goes on and paints a picture, these descriptors of what it looks like in real time. Um, it says, love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoings, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Very, very concrete picture of this is what it looks like played out on a day-to-day basis to be and live a life of love. Now, we're going to take a deeper dive at each of those descriptions in the weeks ahead, but uh, I want to just make a few overall observations this morning to start out with. The first is that this is, this is all about relationships. Love is not about what you feel about your pizza or your sports team. It's, it's about how we relate to each other. And, and in this passage, it's specifically about how a church body relates to one another, but, but the principle extends to all our relationships. So it's not about me loving the gifts that I have, the abilities, being in love with what I can do. It's about the manner in which that I interact with the people that I rub shoulders with on a day-to-day basis. That's where love gets lived out in real time. I also want to take note that this love that's being described here, it's action-oriented, not emotion-oriented. It's not connected to emotions, it's connected to actions. Now, that doesn't mean that there aren't emotions involved when it comes to love. Um, Sometimes there are. What it means is that don't measure love by feelings, by how you make me feel or how I make you feel. And the good thing about that is that the way that we feel, it kind of changes on a day-to-day basis. Sometimes it changes on an hourly basis. Sometimes it changes every 30 seconds. The way that I'm feeling is slightly different. And so if we are going to make emotions the measure of love, it's going to be, it's going to be a little crazy. We're going to be all over the place. Um, but it's not about emotions. It's about actions. True love, real love, agape love is action-oriented. Patience and kindness. All these descriptions, none of them are emotions. They're all concrete, tangible actions. And this love is, is not only action-oriented, but take note, it's, other, it's also other-oriented. It's not motivated by me and what you can do for me. All right, that's a, that's a selfish love. Uh, we're all very familiar with that kind of love. It's not about how you make me feel, what you can do for me. Uh, which I, I think that basically makes up just about every song that's on the Top 40 radio right now. This is how you make me feel. This is why I love you because of what you do for me. question is, what happens when that's gone? What happens when you can't do anything for me anymore? Then what? Where do you go from there? See you later. On to the next. Um, that's not this kind of love. Uh, agape Love works its way out in what I do on your behalf. It's giving selflessly in a way that benefits and blesses and builds someone up. 
in an unconditional way. And, and when we talk about that word unconditional, we're kind of in, we're, we're in foreign territory for a lot of us. Uh, the idea of unconditional love is a foreign concept to a lot of people. Our world is, is filled with people who, who've only encountered selfish love, um, love with conditions. I will love you if, so long as you do this. This is a love that's saying, I will love you even if. And many people just have no experience with that. Uh, there's, there's no shortage of selfish love, but this selfless agape kind of love that this passage is describing, it's a rare commodity. But it's the love that every life is longing for and looking for, right? I, think about your own life. Like, don't, don't we all long for, for someone to be patient and kind with us? Someone who doesn't envy, who's not spending their time bragging about themselves and how good they are? Don't we need someone who is, who's humble? Someone who's able to be flexible with us. Someone who isn't going to get fed up with us. Someone who doesn't hold grudges, grudges against us when we mess up because the truth is we are going to mess up. It's, just a, it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. Don't we need someone who's going to celebrate the victories with us and not rub our defeats in our faces. Someone who is willing to go the distance with us. Someone who believes the best in us. And someone who's going to be there to keep us moving forward. What does that sound like when you hear that? It's just something resonates, I think, in the soul of every person and saying, yes, that's what I need. And what I want to say is that there is someone in each of our lives who loves us like that. His name is Jesus. Romans 5.8 tells us this, is that God demonstrated his own love for us in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That was his expression of love. Jesus went to the cross. He gave his life out of love for you and for me, uh, not because he felt it, right? It's what he chose to do. Not because there was anything in it for him, but it was because this is what we needed. He did it not because we deserved it. He says we did it while we were yet sinners. When we were as far away from God as we could possibly be, we did nothing to earn it and deserve it. Our lives were the antithesis of everything God intends and wants. That's when he loved us in the most extraordinary way. He didn't just say he loved us. He showed us his love for us by giving us what we need. That's when he went to the cross. He took on the cross all of our sin, everything that separates us from a holy and loving God who created us to do life with him, to be connected to him. And he paid that price to, to reconnect us, to deal with the sin, to resolve that sin issue. He paid a price that he didn't owe and he bore the justice of God, the, the holy wrath that we deserved. He did that so we could get something we don't deserve. Mercy, grace, forgiveness, reconciliation, and peace and restoration with our creator. See, that is 
the ultimate expression of love in the history of our, of our, of our existence. There's no other love that will compare to that kind of love that Jesus demonstrated while we were yet sinners. The God of all creation came and died for us. And so I want to ask you, have you, have you tapped into that love? Because that's the source. Have you received his love? Because I don't know if there's any way to love others the way that this chapter is talking about until we've been loved by God ourselves. I think that's what breaks the whole thing open. Uh, if you've never responded to Jesus, if you've never turned from your sin in repentance and turned in faith to him and received his salvation, my hope, my prayer is that that would happen to you today, that you would just trust in him and respond in a prayer. See, each of these descriptors of love, right? Love is patient, love is kind, uh, love does not envy or boast. You could replace that word love and fill it in with Jesus. His name fits there perfectly instead. So Jesus is patient. Jesus is kind. Jesus doesn't envy. Jesus is not rude. Jesus bears all things. Jesus endures all things. That's, that's the way that he loves us. And that means that he is our guide. He's our source. He is the well from which we, are, we, we draw from to be able to love others with the kind of love that's here. So what he calls us to do is to basically love others with the same love that he has loved us with. Uh, that's, that's what it's about. That's what really matters. And, and I know it's something that's real easy to talk about until you start playing it out and trying to live it out. And that's where it becomes a challenge. And, and this, this is the challenge, a lifelong challenge for us to actually be able to fill in our own names where it says love is patient, love is kind, to be able to say, Brian is patient. Sometimes I am. A lot of times I'm not. Brian is kind. I'm, I'm working on that one still. Um, Brian is not envious or boastful or arrogant or rude. Brian doesn't insist on having his own way. Check with my wife. <laughs> Um, all of these things. This is a lifelong endeavor by which the Holy Spirit makes us, transforms us, changes us into the likeness, the image, the reflection of Jesus. And that is God's agenda for, for each and every one of our lives. Not to do it on our own, uh, but to, to make use of the resources that God provides us. Because on my own, I can be kind of loving for a short duration of time under the right conditions. But eventually, if it goes on too long, or if life starts going sideways and life is not cooperating with my agenda, if I'm just relying on my own source of love, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be finding myself on empty real soon. Um, See, none of us are born with the kind of capacity to love others with the love of Jesus, right? So if you see someone and you say, man, that person is just so naturally loving. They just love people. No one just loves people. Not this way, not the way God intends. Uh, great lovers in the Bible are not born, they're made. 
and making us into people who love greatly is one of God's primary agendas for our lives. And so what this means is that the way that we grow into people who love this way is simple. It's by staying close to Jesus. That's how it happens. To maintain that close walk with him, to let him love us, to open up our hearts to him, to let his love flow into our lives and to flow through our lives. So I can love others with that same kind of agape love that he loves me with. So one of the secrets I've learned um, is that my capacity to love someone else expands when I love Jesus more than I love that person. And reason being is that he's the source of love. And this kind of sounds a little kind of like something is wrong with it, but I take great um, just trust and hope that Diane loves Jesus more than she loves me. And I love Jesus more than I love her. And as long as we're doing that, we are both connected to a source of love that is greater than anything that we could have on our own. And the net product of that is a greater love, not only for the Lord, but for her and her for me. I don't love people less as I love Jesus more. When I love Jesus more, I love people more. And that's, a, that's just something I've learned and something I continue to just uh, try to cultivate and keep on working through. Um, So the passage, as we just continue on and close it out, it reminds us also that this growing in love, uh, growing a life of love, that that, uh, it may not always be easy, but it is always worth it. Uh, Because love is one of the very few things um, in this life that doesn't have an expiration date. Almost everything else has a shelf life, whether it's our talents, our gifts, our abilities. They're great while they last, while we have them, but they they don't last. That's the problem, but, but love does. So it says, love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. And so now faith, hope, and love abide. These three, but the greatest of these is, life, is love. There's a lot that we have throughout the course of life that's good and useful, but doesn't last. This is one of the challenges of life, isn't it? Um, I can't run today as fast as I could when I was 10 years younger. I just can't. I can't remember things today as well as I used to uh, when I was in my 20s. And I already made mention of it. After church is over today, I'm looking forward to going home. Uh, Hopefully there's a Yankee game on and I'm going to lay down in the living room floor and fall asleep. (laughs) Because I'm exhausted. I get exhausted. The older we get, this this is just the reality for us. Our capacities fade, except when it comes to love. Don't lose sight of that, except when it comes to love. And this is a wonderful thing. Love doesn't fade. It doesn't matter how old you get. This love that matters so much more than anything else is something we can continue to keep on growing stronger and stronger in. 
And so the best of years of your life lie ahead so long as you're investing in being a person who loves the way Jesus loves. And it makes me think of um, someone many of you won't know because you don't share my love for progressive rock. Um, 70s, a little bit after the hippie phase, but uh, Keith Emerson was one of the best, finest keyboard players um, probably on the face of the planet. This guy could do things with a synthesizer that no one else could do. Absolutely amazing. Saw him in concert once, and um, he was just a prodigy for his entire life. And he started getting older, and probably about four years ago, I'm not exactly sure what it was, the news came that Keith Emerson had taken his life. And you read the reports of it, and it was that he could not deal with the reality that he couldn't do what he used to be able to do. His identity was so bound up in his abilities that he couldn't face another day where his fingers wouldn't work across a piano keyboard the way they used to. And maybe that's just a cautionary tale for us, um, but the idea is that love is something that no matter how everything else is declining, love can still be growing. That the time will come when prophecies cease and, and tongues are going to cease and, and knowledge and the gifts, all of these gifts of the Spirit that we love so much, that we minister with, that we find so much meaning through, spiritual gifts are going to expire. The moment Jesus returns, when he breaks through the sky, when faith becomes sight, when we see our Savior face to face, none of you are going to be listening to me preach anymore. Some of you are like, thank God, I can't wait. Um, but I can't wait either because we're going to be hearing God's word from God. We're going to be talking to our Lord ourselves. You're not going to have to rely on a word of wisdom from someone because all our questions are going to be answered. No one's going to need to be encouraged or taught anything. We're going to just, we're going to, we're going to, be full, what we know now only in part, and, and all of these gifts are just going to be obsolete on that day, except for some very few things. Love being among them. Love comes with no expiration date. It's eternal. Love is not only for now. Love is forever. There's never going to be a day when it's outdated, when it's obsolete. So when we love in the present, Really what we're doing is we're, we're practicing, we're getting ready for eternity because heaven is a place of love. So if we keep that in mind, we'll stay on course. And if we keep that in mind, we'll, we'll, we'll maintain balance and perspective and instead of just caring so much about our gifts, our talents, our abilities, all these things that we so easily find our identity and define ourselves by, we can enjoy them, we can make use of them, and we can minor on them and major on love, loving others. There's no better way to invest your life. Faith, hope, and love remain, but the day is coming when faith will become sight, when, when hope will become realized, but, but love will remain. So let's close and just say, what, ask, what, what are you fueling your life with now, what is it that's driving you? 
Maybe you look at the inside of your life, you take stock of it, and you're saying, there's just, there's a lot of bitterness there. Bitterness is driving my life. Bitterness is the reason I get up. It what drives me through the day. Maybe it's selfish love. It's about me getting. Maybe it's abilities. I'm fueled by what I'm able to do. Let me just ask you to consider, all of us, how would our lives change? How would the, the relationships that we have change? How would our homes change, our families, our neighborhoods, our jobs change just this summer if this chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, would become more of a reality, if we would live out more of this, if it would be reflected more in our lives? What might happen? Let's work towards that end and let's stay close to Jesus. Pray with me. Lord,